let me introduce to you the series that we are ministering on today is called The Real You, Finding Your Identity in Christ. So we talked today about our, in our second installment of this series called The Real You. Last time we talked about what? Identity theft. Do you remember that? How that it's easy for the enemy to come and to rob us of our identity. What defines you? Who are you? What is your identity? Those big questions are the questions that all of us wrestle with throughout life. And they become, I believe, some of the most impactful, transformative issues that we ever deal with. How you answer those questions affects every aspect of life, personal, public, spiritual. So it is vital to get the right answer. And many of us, even as long-term Christians, still get confused about those things. Today, I want to do a number of things, but I want to dissect the false identity epidemic that is so rampant in our country. And more important, I want to point you to the absolute only solution to the identity crisis that many of ourselves find ourselves in. You know what the only solution is? Jesus. That simple. He is the only answer. Now, I've been um, responsible to do a lot of traveling uh, over my ministry experience. I just got back, as many of you know, from traveling to India. And later this year, I'll be in Ghana, uh, West Africa, uh, for 10 days. And then I'll also be in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, the very end of um, uh, in the fall. So those are my three international responsibilities for this year. But you know what? Every time I travel outside the uh, U.S., there's something interesting that takes place. They always want what? Your passport. That passport proves to certain authorities who I am. And it tells all kinds of vital information about me. I mean, there's some in some countries I've traveled in, it's like, how many times are you going to check my passport? When you travel internationally, one of the things you learn to do is just keep it with you all the time. Keep it with you all the time. Recently on the trip to India, many of you don't know, but I ended up in the hospital for six hours, and they thought they didn't know. They thought I had a heart attack. It was actually a heat stroke. But uh, if I didn't have my passport on me that day, uh, you know, they called me the wrong name for four of the six hours anyway. But anyway, I mean, having the passport let them know who they were dealing with. You know, I couldn't answer a lot of questions right away. The point of the matter is that passports are a form of ID. But how many of you know passports can even be um, incorrect? You can have incorrect information on your passport. You can even see a forged passport. I know no one in this room has a forged passport. But you could have a forged password, passport if you have enough money. I believe that false identity is at the heart of many of our struggles not knowing really who we are from God's viewpoint. So the questions remain, who are you? Who is the real you? What defines you as a person? What makes you important? What is valuable about yourself? What is your identity? I have a friend who's a pastor in a small town in between San Antonio and Austin, Texas. Good friend. He was in my wedding 
Now, we've been friends many, many years. His wife has struggled for 25 years with a rare form of cancer uh, that has affected it systemically. I mean, it's just affected every aspect of her life. Uh, they have thought she was going to die so many times we've lost count. Her name's Jan. Jan's a great woman of God, but she's been struggling with this disease. Finally, the doctors and the specialists said there's only one thing left that's just our last resort, and that is, and forgive me for you professionals, healthcare professionals that know that I'm not using the right terminology here, all right? But basically, the only answer was to change her DNA, was to literally give her, remove her current, her bone marrow, remove her DNA, and get a total transfusion of someone else's bone marrow, and literally change who she was chemically in every way from the inside out in hopes that her new being would be able to fight off and develop immunities against the disease. Now, I found it an intriguing... Uh, first of all, my heart was just going out there because it is, is a... I mean, she was literally in the hospital six months and then in, in private very, you know, hygienically sensitive areas for another six months. I mean, it was a rough, rough, rough year. And um, many times during that year, they thought she was going to die again because she was so vulnerable. But it was interesting that her sister, I believe it was, and I'm right, Carrie, who, who was willing to give the, what became a donor for her. After Jan went through the surgery and after about a year and a half, we saw her and I hardly recognized her. And I said to her husband later, I said, uh, Noah, I said, what, man, I said, what did the surgery do? He said, well, because she, her, literally, she is now taking on the characteristics of the donor because of the different DNA in her system. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I tucked that away, and I thought, that'll preach sometime. I don't want to say anything right to him right now, but... And the good news is Jan is still alive. She's still fighting her battle, but uh, she's still alive. And we pray for Jan all the time. But it got me thinking how important our DNA is. Your DNA is unique to you. It is really your DNA that establishes who you are. It identifies you and it makes you, declares your uniqueness, right? Everybody knows that you're uniquely made by God. Your DNA cannot be reproduced. It could be changed and altered. You are who you are. And God, the scripture tells us in Ephesians uh, 2 and verse 10, that you're God's masterpiece. We mentioned that the other week. Here's what I want to suggest to you. There is something amazing that happens when a person comes from death to life through Jesus Christ. When we are born again by the Spirit of God, when we're changed, boom, when the Spirit of God regenerates you. How many of you remember that day? When you are regenerated and changed to a new creature in Christ, something happens, if you will, to your spiritual DNA. And now you have something new on the inside of you. And guess what? If you allow it to, it'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you behave. It'll change the way you act. And all of a sudden, that 
God kind of DNA on the inside of us, that new spiritual DNA changes you into a new creation. You become a part of a new breed of humanity, those of us in whom are in Christ. Isn't that incredible? Remember, remember what we said a couple of weeks ago when we started this series, that your identity is intrinsically linked to your destiny. Remember when we said that? Your identity is linked to your destiny. You and I must have a revelation of our new identity if we're to ever reach our dreams. If we're to ever do and fulfill the purposes of God on this earth, we've got to figure out who we are. And it needs to be an accurate assessment of who we are through God's perspective. Now, let's talk just for a moment about this wonderful scripture that gives us a bit of an introduction to what we're talking about today. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it simply says this. This is in the New International Version. I'm going to give you another version in just a second. The New International Version says, Therefore, if anyone is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. What a declaration, isn't it? Now, would you look with me, please? I don't know how familiar some of you are with the Amplified Bible. Some of us old-timers are familiar with it. I know people even in this room who, who, who read nothing but the Amplified Bible. I call it the multiple-choice Bible. But anyway, for the, sake of today, for the sake of today, would you please look at this? Because this is, this is um, exegetically correct, hermeneutically well done, if you will. Not that... Everything in the Amplified Bible is. But would you please look at this with me, please? Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether, because the idea of a new creation means a new creature of a new quality and kind. A new creation, a new creation altogether. The old, the previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. I love this inclusion, parenthetically, of the word engrafted. It says, therefore, a person, when they're in Christ, they're a new creation. Listen to me. When you made Jesus the Savior and Lord of your life, something dramatic happened to you. Something remarkable happened to you that probably, regardless of how much church you've been in, regardless of how much the Bible you know, probably still we are underestimating and undervaluing the stupendous reality of what took place when we became now a new person in Christ Jesus. Behold, the new has come. Unfortunately, we live in a world where false identities are rampant. No one wants to identify with who they are in Christ. Instead, we choose all different kinds of false identities. I remember growing up. I know it's been a while. But when I was growing up and in high school, we had our own cliques. I know the names have changed to protect the guilty but anyway we had a group i grew up in central texas and we had you know it wasn't too complicated during my days in high school we just had like three you know three three or four groupings okay you're either a nerd or you were a jock 
or you were a, in Texas, we call them kickers. Someone guess what a kicker was? A cowboy. Yeah. Someone who wore boots and cowboy hats. Stuart, I guess you'd qualify as the closest thing <laughs> to a kicker that we have here at Riverbend because I've never been a boot wearer, even though I should probably. But anyway, those were the groups. So everybody got labeled. And, and literally, you'd get meet some. Oh, are you a kicker? Are you a jock? Or are you... You'd identify people by the group that they're a part of. Isn't that sad? And now it's gotten very complicated. And now, you know, our identity gets based on the group we're a part of. Whether you're in high school or wherever you're, however old you are, we tend to get caught up in grouping. Some people get all their identity based on their race. That's not right. Some people get their identity based upon their net worth. That's not right. Some people get their, you know, one reason I think in urban settings that gangs are popular? Because people are looking for identity. And a gang affiliation gives them identity more than they bargain for sometimes. But it gives them identity. I'm a part of something. Because everyone has this deep God-created hunger and need to know who we are. I remember... Um, there were certain kids, friends of mine, and everybody knew. I grew up in a small town, 15,000 in our town. Everybody knew who were, the, who were the kids with the parents that lived in a certain area of town, that you had to have money to live in that area of town. And everybody knew the others that lived on the other side of town. And everybody was recognized because of what part of town you were from because everybody knew what that meant. So you were identified with rich parents, poor parents, whatever. Let's don't be identified with our neighborhoods. Let's don't be identified by numbers. Although some of us need to watch our cholesterol numbers. But anyway, that's another matter. But let's figure out what the right numbers are. The right number is John 3.16. Whether or not you are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now here's what I want to do in the remaining 20 minutes that I have. I want to share with you just a little bit of a backstory to your new identity. You see, we've got to figure out what the basis is. If, if, if we're rejecting false identities, all of us have had them. If we're rejecting the identity that's based on numbers, we've got to figure out what is our new identity. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have, you do have a new identity, but you've got to figure out who you are. So, in order to do that, you have to figure out what is, the, what is the basis for identity. Every identity have to, has, to, has to have a basis. If you're basing your identity on the color of your skin, it doesn't take a whole lot to look and see what color of skin you are and compare it to someone else. Oh, oh. But when you're in Christ, what is the basis of true identity? What is the basis of it? God's Word. Only the Word of God is the absolute final authority on what God says, right? That's how we find out what God's opinion is on things, right? Open the Bible, read it. Novel idea, I know, but it will really help you to know what God's view is on things. And so I want to affirm to you that God's truth, the Word of God, is the only good, reliable basis to know who we are. That's it. That means it really doesn't matter someone else's opinion. I don't mean that in a haughty way, 
But Travis can reject me and say, I just don't think I like you anymore. You did this or you did that. Maybe I was guilty, maybe I wouldn't. But at the end of the day, you know what? It really doesn't matter in terms of my identity. It doesn't matter what Travis thinks of me. Although I want you to love me. Brother. But anyway, it really does. It should not affect my identity. Why? Because it's rooted in something so much more valid, something that's authoritative. It's rooted in God's scripture, truth. So we need to learn to say, I am who God says I am. You are who God says you are. There's a great scripture in James that talks about the word of God being like a mirror. And we look into the mirror of God's truth. We need to spend a lot more time looking at the mirror of God's truth to see who we really are. And what does God say about you? We need to sometimes let God reintroduce us to ourselves. Now, I know this is going to get a little technical for a moment. So I want you just to strap in and stay with me until the finish, all right? Because I'm going to try to give you some what is actually some significant theology, but I want to do it in a way that's simple and easy to understand and grasp, all right? Let's talk for a second about our former identity. Can't know, can't know who you are today if you don't know who you once were. You can't figure out where you are until you know where you've been, all right? So let's talk about our former identity. Look at this scripture with me. Romans chapter 5, which by the way, the whole chapter deserves your attention. But for the sake just of two uh, pertinent verses for our use today, let's look at this. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and the parentheses are mine, okay. Who was the one man that sin entered the world through? Adam, right? Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through that sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We are sinners because of our father, Adam. We inherited those propensities called the sin nature from Adam. Adam, sin, was the one man Verse 12 speaks about. And then it goes on in verse 17 and says this. Watch this. For if by the trespass of the one man, speaking of Adam, so if by the sin of the one man, Adam, death took over, death started reigning, ruling over everyone, through that one man, how much more with those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of right standing, righteousness, how much more should we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? No parentheses needed. It's right there. I need some help. All right? James, I need your help. Ariano, I already picked on you once. I may as well pick on you again. I need your help. James, I need you to stand right there. And Ariano, I need you to stand right there because you all are great-looking guys, and I need to illustrate. All right? Come on a little bit closer in, a little bit closer in, though. There you are, right there. No preaching allowed. Just stand, all right? These guys will take off preaching if you're not careful. Now, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all humanity is represented by one of two people, either Adam or Christ. For the sake of my illustration, Adam. 
Sorry, James. I knew you were pulling for Christ, but Adam. For the sake of illustration, Christ. All right. So, here's, here's, here's what's going on. All humanity is represented by one of two people. You're either in Adam or you are in Christ. Those who are represented by Adam, still identified with him as the head of that category, we call you in Adam. You're associated, you're in his family, and all of us by birth are in Adam. You're associated by him, affected by that original sin. Those of us who choose Jesus Christ to be a follower of Christ and are born again, we are in Christ. We are now redefined by the new head, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to break the tradition of sin so that we have a freedom to choose Christ. The choice, frankly, is still up to everybody. People can choose still to be an Adam. Or, through new birth, we can choose to be in Christ. Now watch this. The choice is a life and death matter. To be in Christ, we must come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Adam exerts a certain lordship over us. Jesus Christ is the other option. Adam is the head of the human race. The result of affiliation with him is sin and death. Death reigns. If you're on this side, your affiliation is here. You live under the curse of death. Sorry, James. If... You identify here with Jesus Christ. You make the choice to identify with Jesus Christ, to follow his lordship, his control. The scripture says in Colossians that we are transferred. Transferred. Once over here, now I have a transfer only through Jesus Christ. He transfers me. And now I am joined with Christ. And the authority of the Adamic nature and the resulting sin the resulting satanic control, the resulting all the other stuff that goes with it, is now legally, legally broken and severed. Why? I'm in Christ. He now is the head of this new breed called the new creation. He is the head of all born-again believers. His righteousness is transmitted to all of us, the faithful. Just as the man is condemned by being or born of Adam, so is a man now made right by being in Christ. And that's what Romans 5 does. It basically compares and contrasts being in Adam versus being in Christ. Death, life. Curse, curse reversed. But it's every man's choice. Is everybody clear? Adam and Jesus, y'all can be seated. Thank you. I'll just add Romans 5, 18. Through one man's offense, Adam, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man, Jesus, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. And there's other scriptures that time won't allow me to go into, but there's plenty of scriptures that help us to understand this truth. So, everybody understand the options? In Adam 
in Christ. If you are a born-again believer, you no longer need to yield to your father, if you will, being Adam. You're not denying your background. You once were in Adam. We were all born with an Adamic nature and under the control of Adam and all that ensued. But it is by choice that we must be in Christ. And when you are in Christ, we need to understand what that means. Let's talk for a moment about our new identity. This is, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. This isn't the back story. Now, this is the rest of the story. I want you to appreciate and value the, the, those two little words, in Christ. In Christ, in him, and in whom, different versions of it, are found literally 130 times in the New Testament. Just start noting every time that, particularly in the epistles, in Christ, in Christ, in whom, in whom we have redemption, in him we have, in Christ. What's it talking about? All of that is describing what comes to those of us who have chosen identification with Jesus Christ. Do you see? So, we need to understand what it means to be in Christ. It is a profound truth. It is a stupendous reality to begin to realize what it means to be in Christ. It is breathtaking when you get the revelation of what it truly means to be in Christ because being in Christ means to be, another way to say it, means to be united with him. It means to be bound with him. It means to be completely united with Jesus Christ. Listen to A.J. Gordon. He said these two words in Christ give us a profound insight into the divine method of salvation. They will open up the secrets and the mysteries of the gospel to all. Learn what it means to be in Christ. Now, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, introduces himself. He's telling a little story about himself. He actually introduces himself this way. He said he's speaking kind of, kind of about himself, but in the way he, his language, he says, I know a man, he was speaking about Paul, he said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Do you hear? Paul understood who he was. In other words, he was caught up after he became in Christ. There was a time he was in Adam. He said, I know a man. He's just a man, but he's in Christ. Never leave out the in Christ part of your identity. You and I, even as we read in the Amplified Version, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's a good illustration, were engrafted. It's another way to look about what it means to be in Christ. Now, I've chosen um, two images to help you understand. On the left, you can see, if you will, a vine labeled Adam. And then on the right, you see a vine labeled what? Christ the vine. The idea of grafting, have any of you ever tried to graft? My father was um, loved to garden. He loved to grow fruit trees. He always had some kind of fruit trees growing and, and shared all the fruit with everybody. And my father experimented with grafting. He said, I think I'm going to try this. I'm retired. i got the time to do it. And so I remember the careful incision that he made onto one fruit tree and he took a branch of another 
kind of fruit tree and he grafted it in. He stuck it right into the wound. He grafted it in and then he had to tie it together and then he had to nurture the plant to see what the result would be. Isn't it interesting that there's never an engrafting without a wound? And Jesus was wounded so we could be engrafted into him. And we are cut out, if you see. We're taken out of that Adam grafting. That's not a graft. We're born out of that birth. And now we are grafted into Christ for what purpose? Fruit. A new life. True Jesus Christ. And so I want you to understand today that when you are born again, you are born of God. You are now in Christ. And God has given you his own life. And it is in you. You are not the same person that you were before Christ. That's B.C. That is another person. And you are now a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm new. Just say, I'm new. Turn to the other neighbor and say, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. You are not just new. You're brand new. Brand new. New of a different quality. New of a different kind. Here's the problem. Listen carefully to me as I wrap up. Our problem is we keep identifying with Adam. We keep identifying. We think of ourselves in Adam. We don't think of ourselves for the most part, not enough at least, as in Christ and all that that means. But the Bible is dedicated to helping you understand this new basis for your identity. It's being in Christ. Question is simply this. How does God see you? If the Bible is the basis, if it is the defining basis of which your identity needs to be vetted, all those false identities based on all the stuff, groups, races, genders, all that other stuff are lost when you figure out who you are in Christ. You know, I appreciate diversity. I value diversity. We believe there's beauty in diversity, whether it be racial, whether it be gender, whether it be social, Whatever kind of, I think, because I think that's what we're going to have in heaven. So I think we just ought to go ahead and get used to it. But can I just say this to you? As much as I love and appreciate diversity, let us never hold our diversity up over who we are in Jesus Christ. Because doesn't the scripture say in him there's what? Neither male nor female, neither Jew nor agree what's the point it's not an anti this or an anti that statement it's saying when we're in christ our primary identity is who we are in him it's okay to be an episcopalian or a baptist maybe i might argue with an episcopalian but anyway it's okay but don't let your identity be in that let your identity be with jesus christ what does god say you are well first of all he says you're a new creature We've already read that. Secondly, he also, how does he see you? This is hard to get. He sees you through the grid of the blood of his own son. In whom we have redemption, the Bible says. 
Jesus Christ. It's his blood that simply represents his death, his sacrifice, what he did 2,000 years ago on the cross. When God the Father looks at Steve, when he looks at Steve, he doesn't see Steve in Adam. When he looks at Steve, from however long ago it was that you met Christ, I don't know when that was, Steve, but whenever it was, when he looks at Steve, from the moment that he made Jesus his Lord and Savior, from that moment on, the Father views Steve through a different grid. He looks at him through the blood or the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross. And when he sees him, do you know what that blood says? It says Steve's worthy. It says Steve's in right standing. It's good. Jesus' blood took care of it. Oh, I know this was a rough week for Steve, but he's good. When the father looks at Steve, regardless of how your week went, he sees you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, which speaks to your right standing, your righteousness, and who you are in Christ. Are you hearing me? Through the blood of Jesus, his son. Hebrews 9, 14 declares, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. God sees you in Christ. Not in Adam. You act like Adam sometimes, but God sees you in Christ. And the more we can begin to view ourselves the way God views us, our behavior will start changing. We'll actually start acting like Jesus Christ. We'll actually start thinking like Jesus Christ. No longer under the control of the old nature. We'll begin to walk and not in a cocky, arrogant, proud view, but a simply a secure view, a knowledge of I'm in Christ. And there are certain things that go with that. Hallelujah. My identity. I no longer have to be a kicker. I no longer have to be a nerd i no longer have to be rich or poor i'm in christ from this moment on do you understand what i'm saying this morning as we close i want you to get that deep inside because it affects everything next week and the following week for the next two weeks i'm going to break down the specifics of what comes with that identity what comes with the in christ package deal and you're going to be blown away by some stuff that maybe you haven't realized yet. I want to ask that you would do this with me. Before I ask you to stand, I'm going to ask this of you. Do you know for sure today who you're identified with? Are you still in Adam? It's okay. We're all, we all started there. But at some point, you have to make a clear-cut decision. Whose family are you going to be identified with? And to identify with Jesus Christ simply means to take a step of faith, saying, Jesus, from this moment on, I accept what you did for me on my behalf. I can't pay for it. I'm not good enough to deserve it, but I'm accepting by faith what you did for me on the cross. You did it for me, and I accept it. And the moment that you accept that, and you say, Jesus, I choose new life through Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn my back. Repent. Turn from the old. I'm not going to look at Adam anymore. I just got my eyes are on Jesus. I'm going to follow after you. That's a decision. It's a choice. It's a step every one of us have to make. Not only our eternal destiny, 
But even our earthly purposes are affected by that decision. It is the most defining decision of life. If you're here today, and you say, I don't know for sure about that. I'd like to know. I'm going to give you a chance. But first, I'm going to ask for an affirmation. For those of us that know, we know that we know that we know who we're in. If you know that you know that you know that you're in Christ, I want you just to raise your hand and say, Pastor Bobby, I know where I am. I'm in Christ. Put your hands down. If you couldn't raise your hand, that means you need to make a decision today. And if you'd like to, we're here to pray with you. Prayer workers, please come to the front. But right now, would you just bow your heads for a second? If you're here and you could not lift your hand affirmatively to say, I know that I know that I'm in Christ. I know I'm I'm a part of that great family of God because I chose it by faith. You couldn't do that, but today you'd like to. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but your life has been far more Adam-like than Christ-like. And maybe today you just need to say, beginning today, I'm going to rededicate myself to being a Christ follower. If you do not know for certain whether you're in Adam or in Christ today, would you just lift your hand? I just want to pray for you. I won't embarrass you, I promise. If you don't know for sure, just lift your hand. saw one hand. Anyone else? Just lift your hand. Would everyone please rise to your feet? I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to leave this area of the front open. Our teams are going to come and just be very available here for you. Take your pick. Come and let them pray with you. If you need to make a decision for Christ, if you raised your hand or you wanted to and you just didn't, this is your chance. They're ready and trained to pray with you for a life-changing decision. They're also available to pray with you if you have a personal need. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's other issues. Something you just need someone to be in agreement with you today. They're available here. But I want to pray for you as we close. Father God, today, we're so thankful for learning how you see us. Lord, we make a decision today to begin looking at ourselves the way that you do we're in Christ. And I pray that the spiritual light bulbs will go on in each of us. Let us, even our behavior, begin to be marked by being in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.